Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is Ronnie Wing Lambrecht. According to Ronnie, life teaches us all many lessons, and some more than others. Since losing their only child, Ronnie and her husband have learned what it takes to forge ahead and find new purpose in life, helping others to improve their lives by enhancing their focus on what is significant, their children, and the other people in their lives. Ronnie's books, Parenting at Your Best, A Parent's Guide for Journaling to Their Child, and A Parent's Journal for Their Child, are a tribute to their son Dalton, with anticipation that the stories and advice they offer will inspire others to excellence in their parenting. I'd like to welcome you to the show, Ronnie. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Hamish. It's nice to be here. Hi, Ronnie. That's, that's good to have you. So, reading over the information about what happened, I, I'm not a, a man who has ever had children, not in a relationship with children, so I cannot possibly imagine how you felt or what you went through, but for our listeners, could you give an overview of what, what happened? Well, um, we were in the Glamis Sand Dunes, which are the largest sand dunes in the United States for our Christmas holiday, and we were on vacation, actually just the three of us, and then our friends had showed up um, the day before, uh, the, the day before we lost Dalton. So we had actually just spent Christmas uh, on our own for the three of us, and it was awesome, first time ever in our in our entire existence of being parents that we had had a Christmas that it was just the three of us instead of, you know, a million family members around. So that was really cool. And uh, that Sunday after Christmas in 2013, uh, our friends had showed up in the sand dunes and had decided that that they didn't like our campsite, I guess, <laughs> that we had chosen and they wanted us to move. And so uh, John, my husband, and Kelly, our friend that had showed up, they decided they would take Dalton and put Dalton on the four-wheeler and they would ride in the truck on the highway next to what they call Sand Highway. It's kind of like a 10-lane super, super highway on the sand for sand rails and ATVs and that kind of a thing. And then there's a state highway right next to it that, that you can see the sand dunes from when you're driving down the road. And so Dalton was on his ATV and the idea was that the guys would go find a new campsite and then Dalton would ride around the campsite to save it while the guys came back, picked up the trailers, and we moved everything over there. And on the way over, um, Dalton said goodbye to me um, at 10.27 a.m. and at 10.37 a.m. is when he was hit head-on by a sand rail. And uh, so John immediately pulled the truck over and ran down to get to Dalton that took him quite a while and and by the time he got there Dalton was taking his last breath so uh um sorry I get That's a little okay. choked up here yeah uh, <laughs> um so so anyway and then at that point Kelly went forward in the truck to try and get help and um while John was with Dalton and and we lost him right away which 
in the whole scheme of things, when you look, when you look back on things and you look how things could be, um, we do count ourselves blessed and that I know Dalton would not have wanted to ever live as a vegetable. And, um, mm. so, and he went out doing what he loved, you know, he was out on the sand dunes doing wheelies and jumping and, and he, he, the bike was like a second limb for him, like another arm or another leg. He was attached to it and it was, he was an amazing expert rider. And, and so him going out like that, um, heading to heaven on his ATV was, was the best way he could have gone out. I just wish that it was long after John and I were gone. So, yeah. Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like. But what I'm wondering about is what, what caused this accident? What went wrong? Well, we're not exactly positive. We know the wind had really picked up and the sand was blowing pretty hard. Um, and, every, and, and Dalton had, a, obviously, all of his safety equipment on, his helmet and his gloves and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and But they say that on this sand highway, the rule for the speed limit, which none of us even knew, that's terrible to say, uh, we've been at this place multiple times, and the speed limit on sand highway is 15 miles per hour, and nobody ever does that. Everybody's going very, very fast, and there's no directions. Um, needless to say, had I known that this was really the plan before the guys left, um, Dalton would not have been going with them, but... Um, um, because I hate that that sand highway place, um, but yeah, I I don't know. It, I think it was probably the way it was supposed to happen, and and he mm -hmm. just ended up in that place at that time. And so the sand rail was coming directly at him. About they think about sixty miles per hour, and Dalton was going up a hill. Um, and as he went, as he topped the hill, that's when the sand rail hit him. So oh, I'm sure I as he was kind of going up, up the hill. And if, again, if he was doing a wheelie at the time with the bike kind of in front of his vision, then he would not have seen them at all. Um, and, and again, maybe the way that the sand was blowing, maybe they couldn't see Dalton. I, I don't know exactly. And we've never been able to talk to the family. We've tried, uh, multiple times to reach out to them, um, and I'm sure I'm sure they've been advised never to speak to us, you know, for legal reasons and that kind of a thing. But um, his grandmother and his their their grandmother and their mom of the drivers of the sand rail have reached out to us um, after I've written letters to them, and they've reached out to us twice um, just to tell us that the boy their boys who were driving the sand rail for the very first time um, they had just bought it that morning actually. That um, that they you know they still feel very bad and um, and to tell us what good people they are and I'm I'm assuming they're probably very afraid of a lawsuit which I I just don't think we would ever do doesn't make sense to ruin someone else's life mm -hmm. um, for an accident it was just an accident so um, I know they didn't do it intentionally and it just happened and um, and it, I the only thing that John and I can think of is that this is just the way it was supposed to be so. Yeah. So that being said, um, it was an accident, and there, and there's nothing that can be done about it. So, acceptance is a huge part of uh, being able to move forward, to be able to deal with the tragedy, whatever it is. And for our audience here, and I had asked you about this earlier, you've spoken about 
the word you've used the word sandrail. For those who are listening, what is that? Um, you can picture like a large dune buggy or a go kart, um, but they're very very large. Um, they say they're about or well, they say the one that hit Dalton is about six times the weight of Dalton's four wheeler. Um, so they're just very large, like dune buggies, literally dune buggies on the sand dunes, um, with huge roll roll bar cages over the top of them. They say that they're much safer um, to be in those. Um, anyway, so it's just a very large vehicle that travels the sand, and they're people put tons of money into those things to make them as fast as they can make them. Hmm. Yeah. So Ronnie, at that point, like um, Dalton died there at the scene, correct? Yes. So what what was going through your thinking and where did that take you in your life at that moment? What was I I know that when those things hit it can it's sort of like a a um a space where you just can't think for several months. There's not much happening. But what what was going on for you and where were you heading with your thinking and what was uh, for your, yourself and your husband? Well, uh, first of all, I wasn't at the accident scene, just John and Kelly were. So it took them almost two hours to get back to, to me, uh, to, to let me know what had happened. And I had no idea, Mm. you know, until they, um, came around the camper and opened the door and explained what had happened with the police. Um, and, and I think we've, we surround ourselves with amazing people and we are so very lucky for that. Um, and in the year before Dalton passed away, I had three friends who had lost children from various accidents. And one of those friends had said to me, um, actually it's a different, different one than had, she had lost her daughter four years before that to epilepsy. But one of the things that she had said to me in talking to her before Dalton passed away, we had gone out to lunch and talked. And and one of the things that she said to me was that people will say and do things that they think are helping. And mm. you just have to be thankful that they tried. Yes. And, and I think when she said that to me, I probably thought I understood what that meant. Um, but the moment that I found out that we lost Dalton, that was one of the very first things that ran through my mind was... Um, that that people will say weird things and and like the police said some really dumb things and um and and just accepting the fact that that those kind of things will be said and done and you just need to accept it for what it is and be thankful that those people are with you and trying to help you even though they yeah. don't know that they're not trying to help you yeah. <laughs> or that they're not helping but um. So that was definitely one of the one of the biggest things that that I do remember thinking. Um, I do I do remember thinking that for the first four days we weren't allowed to see him because they were doing um, autopsy and you know all the stuff that they have to do afterwards. So I wasn't allowed to see him for four days. So in all reality, those four days, I I truly believed that. I was either being lied to or this was a terrible joke that this really couldn't be happening to us because I didn't get to see him, um, mm-hmm. which I think in and of itself is is a huge cause for PTSD and um, and that. Oh, the level of trauma. As a parent, it doesn't the, – the level of trauma that you've experienced, it doesn't get much higher as, as a parent. And uh, Dalton was your only child? Yes, 
Yep. He was our only one. We put all our eggs in one basket. Mm. Yep. Yeah, we were extremely close. He was... um, A mom is probably never supposed to say this, but he really was one of my very best friends. We talked about everything. We did everything together. And um, so, yeah, I really, I, I lost, I lost my son and I lost a very, very close friend. Um, And then in the same week, actually, when Dalton's uncle found out about his passing, uh, my husband's brother, he actually um, had a heroin overdose and we lost him four days later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, and he had lived with us for on and off for the year and a half previous. And so, we were all very close to him. And, again, him and he and Dalton were very, very close. So, losing losing Dalton and my brother-in-law, Bill, um, uh, doing all that at once, we were extremely numb. And I think still, even three years and almost nine months into this, I think we're both still very numb sometimes. Yeah. And I think other times we're... It's almost like your skin is, how do you say this? Like your skin's turned inside out and all your nerves are exposed. Yes. Does that make you sense? Mean, yeah, <laughs> absolutely it does. Yes. I um, lost a very close friend many years ago and and I can appreciate what you're talking about. The shock, the the loss, the, the inner pain um, was there, was... It, and I hope this doesn't come across as cruel, but was there a worst moment in all this? Did it get worse or did it get better? Um, I think there were definitely some worse moments. Um, fighting with the funeral home to try and um, try and figure out how we were going to get his body home. Uh, that was a nightmare in and of itself going through all that um and you you know those people really should be trained much better in how to deal with with the families of the lost loved ones um and it's funny i had said we had just bought a toy hauler fifth wheel before we went on our trip and dalton's bike well all three of our bikes sat in the back of the fifth wheel in what we it's a toy hauler it's a garage in the back of our fifth wheel and i had said from that very night that we had lost Dalton, I had said, you know what? I think we could just put his body where his bike would have been and take him home with us. And not only did my husband think I was psychotic, uh, my parents thought that as well as my husband's mom and, um, and the people at the funeral home thought I was crazy that I would want to take him with me, but they weren't taking into account that what they were trying to tell me to get Dalton's body home was, that they were going to send him from California. They were going to send his body to Atlanta and then they were going to send him to another airport, which they didn't know yet where that was going to be. And then they were going to fly him to Colorado. So it wasn't even a straight shot to Colorado. And, and my argument with them was, well, he was 15 years old and he was the most mature 15 year old I've ever met in my life. And I wouldn't let him fly alone when he was alive. And I'm certainly not letting him fly alone now when he has nobody to speak for him. Mm. And they said that if they did fly him, that I was not allowed to go on the airplane. So that... that, Unbelievably cruel. Oh, it was horrible. And so I fought and fought and said, you know what, he's coming home with us no matter what. He's coming in the camper with us to come home. I'm not letting someone put him on an airplane to go to two other states before he ever comes to Colorado. 
And that took four days of, or actually five days of arguing before that Friday morning after the accident had happened on Sunday, before they, the funeral home finally would agree with me. And I spent the majority of the week um, trying to get, um, oh, what do they call them, like permits to take Dalton's body over state lines because we had to go through so many states to get home. Um, and I had spent all kinds of time getting the permits to be able to do that, thinking if they do finally say yes, I want to be able to take him right away. So, um, which was a good thing because it kept me busy, kept me going during the days trying to call these government agencies and get things done. Um, but that was another very difficult task. Um, and bringing him home for the services was very difficult as well as, um, um, we always knew all of us, we've always known that we would be cremated. Um, but our families wanted to see Dalton one last time. And so, we had to get his body home versus bringing ashes home. And so there's just so much of the back end things that cause just as much stress and just as much trauma as the actual accident itself does. And, and it's terrible that it, that our society is like that. Ronnie, this was only not even quite four years ago, correct? Right. Yes. So you've now come to a point where you've got, is it three books written? I do. And I do. So you've done clearly so much uh, moving forward and trying to get a message across in such a short time, less than four years. And whereas a lot of parents, um, a lot of people quite easily be, have not moved anywhere in that period of time. So tell us about the journey with writing your books. And uh, I think, is it parenting at your best is the the first one you wrote? Yes. Yes. So, um, well, prior to writing the books, um, when all the kids spoke at Dalton's celebration, the kids got up and spoke for like four hours telling stories about Dalton and, um, and all the things that he had done to help them over the years. And six of them actually stood up and said that if it wasn't for Dalton, they wouldn't be alive because that he physically stopped them from committing suicide, which we had no idea about. And... That being said, a lot of the kids knew that our favorite movie at our house is Pay It Forward. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but if you yes. haven't, you should get it. Brilliant it's really movie. good. Yep. I have um, seen it too. And when we came home from California with Dalton's body, um, our entire neighborhood was lined just like the end of that Pay It Forward movie. It was wow. amazing. and um, But it was so many of these kids that were so thankful that Dalton had been in their lives and, and, you know, you know, you have a great kid or great friend or a great person in your life, but they don't always toot their own horn. And so a lot of that, we didn't have any idea about until his service. And so we also started um, a pay it forward campaign. So we have these little business cards with Dalton's picture on them. And, and we talk about um, on the little cards, we talk about Dalton on the front side. And then on the back side, we ask somebody to do, uh, a random act of kindness for someone and then to take the card and write their name on it and give the person two cards. So a blank one for them to do something. And then the card that the person wrote their name on and we ask them to do a perform a nice act and then give the card to somebody and ask them to also do a kind act in Dalton's honor. And um, that has transpired and it's gone to, many states and it's gone to um um several different countries 
And so that was kind of the start of, of figuring out what we were going to do with this. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, the books came about because John, my husband John has a lot of regrets. And he'll say things like, you know, I never threw a baseball to Dalton. And, and we say things back to him like, well, most parents who throw a baseball to their kids also don't teach their kids about four-wheelers. And they, mm. you know, um, so, so it's not always the best thing that you went and threw a baseball with your kid because you did other things with him. And yeah. so you can't measure how great you were or how bad you were based on the things you did because you just did things differently. And John has just made many comments about, well, I wish that there was a way that we could tell other parents what we did well and what we did that we could have done much better, obviously, um, because nobody's perfect. And I wish that there was a way that we could talk to people and just tell them to live every moment and, and not to be so busy with work like I was and, and focus um, on their families more and less on getting the yard taken care of and working in the garage and all those kind of things that dads typically do. And so that's kind of where the book came from originally. And then I was just writing, I was very open about our grief process on Facebook. And I wrote a lot of um, just blogs about what we were going through at the time or things that we had done when we cleaned out this or that and, and people would always write back on the post. They would always comment and say, wow, you should take this and write a book with it. And um, and then after John's comments about teaching parents how to live without regret, it, it all kind of just fell together. And then as the books started transpiring, I started sitting down and thinking about, well, what would I want to write about and what would I want to share? And that's a very naked process. Um, it's like exposing everything, everything you did right, everything you did wrong, and you're exposing it to judgment of people saying horrible things or people saying really nice things. And so we had to come to the first, we had to come to the conclusion, who would read our book? And secondly, we had to come to the fact that if we do put this out there, there are going to be naysayers who tell us that we're wrong or that we're trying to do something to make money off of Dalton's death or just different things. And one of the things that kind of really threw us over the edge was we, um, we've gone on a lot of trips since we lost Dalton just to kind of get away and, and just little kind of weekend getaways or that kind of a thing. And you really start noticing when you're away and even when you just go out to dinner, you guys will notice it now when you go out to dinner, how many people sit around a table and they're on their phones instead of paying attention to each other. Um, and it's so maddening to watch that happening and realizing I would do anything to give, to have one minute with Dalton, much less an entire dinner with him. And these people are wasting it on their phones instead of communicating with their families. And so all of those things, just kind of putting all that together is when we decided we would write the book And then as I was putting all the chapters together and the things that I thought I would want to write about um, and decided how I would put things together. So in like in each chapter, I do a story about us with Dalton because I think stories resonate better with people. And then in the second half of each chapter, I put um, a section called straightforward tips for parenting at your best, where I take what I 
talked about in the story above, and I explain kind of what we would have done differently or what we did right, um, things that we're proud of, things that we wish we would have, things that we have regrets about. Um, and, and it was funny because there's two chapters in specific that I had written down what I wanted to write about in the chapter, and then I got to those chapters and I couldn't figure out how to write a story. And it was almost like Dalton was standing behind me saying, hey, mom, do you remember the day? Um, it was like he just told me the whole story and I would sit there and type about, oh, yeah, I do remember the day we were standing in the kitchen and this happened. And um, and I think one of the things I think that that we struggle with the most that is not recognized uh, and for anyone in PTSD in general, going through a grief process of in any way, shape, or form, losing a loved one or losing a job or losing an animal or anything, I think that we forget that the daily, the daily life, the daily minutia that we go through, so the, the getting up in the morning and the going to bed at night and all the stuff in between, we forget that that person or that thing or whatever was... Um, your animals, whatever, whatever you're missing, how big a part of our lives that they were. Um, for me, it's the Dalton coming down every morning before school. Um, and he could be getting ready to miss the bus and he, he would stop and right in front of the refrigerator and I would be standing there taking my vitamins and he would stop every morning and make sure he gave me the biggest hug and he would say, I love you, mom. And I will tell you, um, that is one of the things I miss more than anything in the world is those hugs in the morning. And it's those, it's the little things, putting him to bed at night. And sure, was he 15 years old and was he too cool to cuddle with his mom? Um, he would tell the whole public that he was too cool to cuddle with his mom. <laughs> but I will tell you that every night we cuddled. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think when he turned 14 is when he told me, it's not cuddling, Mom. It's hanging out, talking to your mom. <laughs> but I will tell you, those are the things you miss the most. And it's the it's the little everyday things. And so in the book, I really wanted to focus on the little everyday things that I think families in general, people in general, everybody, we, we get these things in our head that we're talking about, oh, we're going to go to, you know, Disney World, or we're going to go on this huge vacation, or we're going to go do this, or going to go do that. And we're waiting for these massively big events to happen. And we forget that there's tons of time before that's going to happen. What are we doing with making memories in between there? And so I wanted to really help focus parents on make a memory while you're doing the dishes and while you're getting dinner ready, dance with your kid around the kitchen, or, you know, when you're doing laundry, Make it a game. Throw socks at each other and, and, you know, have tickle fights. And It's so easy as a parent to, when you are trying to get the dinner ready or clean the house or whatever you're doing, to say, go and watch television. Go and sit on your iPad and uh, you, you're, you're in my space. I don't need it. I'm doing something else and pushing them away. Yes. It's so easy to do that. Just with, with the book, tell us what would be the top three tips that you hope parents will learn from parenting at your best. Well, I think um, first and foremost, I think would be how we talk to our kids. Um, a simple example would be instead of saying "don't remember," say I mean instead of saying "don't forget," say "please remember." Mm -hmm. um, just kind of turning our 
turning our words around to make them more positive versus negative. Um, so that would be one one of the examples in the book. Um, and another thing would be just taking regular everyday moments. Um, you know, I know for us, like doing laundry on Sundays was a big deal for us. We would take the whole um, basket of laundry of, you know, socks and underwear and all that stuff and and throw it on the top of my bed. And Dalton would get up there and I would throw socks at him so he could organize them and I would organize everything else. And then after we were done, I would crawl up on the bed with him and we would laugh and talk and have tickle fights and... Um, and it was just one of those things that was such a special time for us. It was just us time. And I think other parents, again, like you were just saying in the regular everyday chaos, we forget about those kind of moments that we can make a moment and make a memory out of something so simple as doing the laundry. And, um, so I think, I think that that's definitely uh, one of the other things. And then one of the other things would be writing to our kids, which is what my second book is about. Okay. Um, and so the first chapter in Parenting at Your Best is called Write Your Way Into My Heart. And, um, and then my second book is actually based on the fact that so many parents had come up to us after Dalton passed away and they said things like, what could we do to help you guys get through this? You know, what is there? And both John and I would just say, you know what? Just make memories with your kids and write them lots of love letters. And I cannot even tell you how many people said to us, um, I, I would love to write my kid a love letter or write them a journal, but I don't have any idea what to say. And so my second book is just different ideas of things that you could write to your kids. Um, because I think that Having something in writing gives them something tangible. So if if something were to happen to you tomorrow, or in our case, something happened to our child, uh, we have something tangible to go back to with mm. funny stories or just how we feel about them or how proud of them that we are. And granted, we need to say those things out loud, um, but I also think that we need to put those things in writing so that we don't forget you know, this really funny thing that happened when they were three years old or hmm. or how proud of them we were when they um, struggled so hard at something and then they finally overcame it. And I think those things, it's so cool to just have different things in writing to our kids that, that could really be so special. Hmm. And you could easily use the those sorts of tips, what you're put, putting in, into the parenting book, that um, other people can use it even if they haven't got children but might, might be in a relationship that they can also use these tools to be writing that letter, that journal to your partner as well would be equally as important. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny that you say that. My publishing coach, Polly, um, she's teased me twice now that I should write a, a, uh, like a partnering at your best for couples <laughs> um, and just use all the same tips as yeah. as, as in parenting at your best. And she also says I should change it and also make it a business book Um because people in business could also use it. So, and it's funny. One of the one of my reviews says um, is a lady who said that she learned more in this book about relationships than she has from anything else in her life. And she said, "And all I have is a dog. I don't have kids. I don't have a husband." Even just um, to write one to your dog, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she just said they they were um, a lot of people have just said it's really helped them in a lot of ways to to um 
just work on relationships in general, not just with kids. So, which yeah. is really a, a huge compliment for us. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to bring Nathan into this now. You've been very quiet this one, Nathan. It's normally normally <laughs> the normally the other way around. It's, uh... it, it is, but you are a better fit for this conversation than I am, Hamish, because you have children. Uh, I don't have any of that understanding, so yeah. it was far better for me to be in the background on this one. But, so in in terms of people who want to get in touch with you, they want more information, how would they go about finding you? Oh, well, Nathan, um, the best way to do it would be to go to my website, which is uh, parentingatyourbestwithoutregrets.com, um, or they could email me, and my email is doitfordalton at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so either one of those would be fine. And if anybody wanted to buy the book, they can do it on my website. Um, and it's also available on Amazon. So yeah. Now, when you say do it for Dalton, is uh, the word for, is that F-O-R or the number four? Um, it's actually F-O-R. Great question. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's, it's because this kind of thing has come up before in different interviews where we've spoken with somebody like, for example, there's a really great psychology site I like going to called toknowmyself.com. And he has the number two at the beginning. Mm. Oh, gotcha. Well, that was a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, Ronnie, I'm just, before Nathan wraps this up, I'm just going to ask you one question that I, I really think uh, to help people. Um, what is your number one tip for anyone that is in trauma, locked in trauma, the PTSD, they're just in that really bad space? What would be your number one tip for them? My number one tip, um, which probably every counselor and psychologist in the world would probably say I'm wrong, um, but I will tell you the number one way that we get through every single day is by being busy. Um, I know for, for us, we schedule, for both John and I, we schedule any appointments with clients. We schedule for first thing in the morning because then that makes us get our butts out of bed, um, and then I keep us busy with between work and social activities. I keep us busy a minimum of 18 hours a day so that we are so exhausted when we get home that we can actually sleep when we lay down in bed instead of laying there and thinking. Mm. Um, I, I will tell you that, uh, and I'm sure Hamish, I'm sure you totally understand what I'm talking about. The, mm laying in bed thinking yeah. about things or having five minutes in your car without the radio going full blast. Yeah. Those are very negative times, um, at least for us. And again, we're still babies into this from what we're told. Um, being under four years, we're still, still learning how to do this. But for us, truly, like five minutes of quiet time is suicidal. Literally. Yeah. And so I think that being busy and and if you ever are forced into a situation that that you do have to be quiet or, you know, there's not other things, you know, going on around you and you do retreat into yourself and into your thoughts where it can get very dark. Um, I would say force yourself as much as humanly possible. And I'm talking forceful here. <laughs> force yourself to think about the blessings you know, for us, it's, I could focus on every day that, you know, we were going to come back from that trip 
from Glamis and Dalton was going to go get his learner's permit for driving. And I was never afraid of him driving because he was such an amazing driver, you know? So I, I was so excited he was going to get his license and he had saved money to buy a car. And then he would, you know, as, as life goes on, he would, you know, be in high school, he would go to prom, he was going, his plan was to go to the Marines. He had big dreams of things that he wanted to do. And I could focus on, he didn't get to do those things or I could turn it around and I can focus on how lucky that we were to have had him for the 15 years and eight months that we did. But look and, and look at what he's doing through the, his legacy, the message that you're passing exactly. through. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I just think it's so important. And I, I just talked to another mom um, three days ago who lost her son. And, um, and I said, you just have to really focus on the time that you had, not the time you didn't get, but the yep. time that you had. And she said, oh, that's really interesting because all I keep thinking about is, is what we didn't get to do and what he doesn't get to do. And, and, and you can get caught up in that spiral all the time of those things, you know, that you don't get to walk them down the aisle at their wedding and you don't get to meet, like for us, we will never have grandchildren now. Mm, but you're grateful for what you had. Exactly. So we really have to focus on 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 who Dalton was while he was here and how blessed we were to have him for the time that we did. Yeah. It's so important to focus on that because if you let it go into the other, it can very quickly drive you crazy and, and really take you in that downward spiral, as you mentioned, into a very dark place. And as you said, it takes a lot of effort to be able to turn it around. But yes. that's where the blessings lie when you're able to turn it around. Exactly, exactly. So I'd, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thank um, you guys. Thank you both, Nathan and Hamish. That It was an honor to be on your show. And I think the the name of the Thought Hackers is so cool. I saw that <laughs> the title and I was like, oh, I want to call them. I just want to talk to them. <laughs> it, it's created quite a reaction straight across the board. Believe it or not, and we have not had a single negative comment Everybody likes the name, which is rather unusual, and we're very we're gratified and pleased by it. Yes, you guys did a great job. I, I think it's so cool. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being with us. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. You're most welcome. So for those of you who have been listening to us, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston, and we are the Thought Hackers. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.